So we are at what is nearly exactly halfway through the Gospel of John. And John 11 represents a real kind of ratcheting up of what's been going on in Jesus' ministry and specifically the tension that he is uh, uh, facing with the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. In fact, often overlooked, and we're not actually going to quite get this far today, but at the conclusion of John 11... We read this. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. And then in verse 57, Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So what was it? What was it that happened in John 11 where all of a sudden Jesus goes into kind of quasi-hiding and becomes one of the top ten most wanted in the region of Judea? Lazarus. The death and raising of Lazarus. Death death has... Here, here's, a, here, here's something obvious, right? Well, thanks, Pastor. We could have handled this one on our own. Death has a way of being something of a turning point, doesn't it? Did you catch the story this week of this guy? Tony Dow. That's right. As a young actor, of course, and probably most famously, he portrayed Wally Cleaver in Leave It to Beaver. On Tuesday, I had heard that he was sick near the end of his life. And then I got a little notification on my phone Tuesday afternoon that his management team had released a post or a statement on Facebook notifying fans that he had died while under hospice care. They noted that that, 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 that news came from Tony's wife, Lauren, who I later learned he met in Kansas City. However... A few hours later, that post was removed. And an update, an update was posted by Dow's son, Christopher, noting that it was believed his 77-year-old father was in his last hours, but still alive. Whoops. I want to be sensitive because 24 hours later, he did pass away. His son confirmed that uh, his father passed away on... Wednesday morning. I think it's Mark Twain who's credited. Now, whether he really said it or not, I think there's some controversy, but reports of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. It kind of happened to to Tony Dow this week with the Facebook post that came about 24 hours early. But while thinking about John 11 all week and the raising of Lazarus, I couldn't help but be drawn a little bit to this story. This report that this man who was announced to have died, was actually living. Maybe, I, I don't know anything about Tony Dow's faith. I, 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 hope, I, hope he's, I hope he's sharing stories with Lazarus right now. huh? Those two have something in common. John's narrative, as you may have gathered by now, can, can get a little verbose, a little wordy sometimes. As I've said about other chapters, we could probably break this one down to four 
or five sermons, but I'm not going to do that today. <clears throat> now, the, the, the trade-off is that we have a lot of scripture to, to get through, to kind of feel like we get the whole context. So bear with me. I thought today, and, and this will be really kind of the bulk of what I share, it will be straight from the passage. I'm actually going to reread part of what Bill read earlier so that we can get a, a full view of kind of what's going on in this. Oh, that, that's really dark. Um, it's actually a painting by Rembrandt. You can just barely kind of make out Lazarus down here. I didn't realize it was going to be quite this dark on the, on the screen. But anyway, look at the picture. Hear these familiar words from John 11. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, which actually happens in John 12. <laughs> we'll read that next week, but... The author was saying, oh, you know Mary, the one who anointed Jesus. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of, those, of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, he, uh, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am Glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives in and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the home consoling her saw Mary rise quickly, 
and go out. They followed her, thinking that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loves him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, "Uh, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His feet and hands bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said, Unbind him and let him go. A couple things. I just want to hit on very, very briefly from that lengthy passage. Besides his 12 disciples, The four gospel writers make it pretty clear that these three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, were key in Jesus' kind of relational social life. There's thought that they probably also offered financial support to him, but it's clear that his connection to them was was a deep one, that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were some of his closest friends. But Jesus' focus, regardless of circumstances, regardless of, of, of whether it was his, his closest friend or, or the child of some Roman centurion or Roman official that he never met and never even went to, remember that from a couple uh, passages or a couple uh, weeks ago, his, his, his primary focus was the glory of God and expanding God's glory. Remember the the story of the man who was born blind and the disciples were asking him, who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him that this this man sits in this poor condition? And Jesus said, nobody sinned, but God will be glorified through this. The same focus was true when he heard that Lazarus had died, that God would be glorified. The discourse between Jesus and his disciples there before they actually leave to go to Bethany, I I just think it's funny. Jesus said, well, he's, he's sleeping. And they kind of say, well, okay, Lord, he'll wake up. And he says, he's dead. huh? He's dead. And then there's that, that exchange where they, they remind Jesus that, hey, y- y- 
you, you are not the most popular person in Judea among the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They just tried to kill you. We, we skipped that, that passage last week. But after Jesus is, is explaining to them, following the healing of the man born blind, that he is the good shepherd and that he is the gate and that he is the, the one who represents the, the leader of the people instead of them, they did not take kindly to that. They tried to stone him. And now he's ready to go back. And Thomas says, well, if, if he's going to go and die, I guess this is the end of the road for us two boys. We'll go too. They were right, by the way. <laughs> in John's gospel, in John's presentation, we're going to get in real thick in the last half of John's gospel into really the last two weeks of Jesus' life. You can make the case. You can make the case that after this point, Jesus is basically in and around Bethany in Jerusalem until his crucifixion. Both Mary and Martha, upon Jesus' arrival, expressed grief. But both of them still, still hold the faith that Jesus is able, maybe not to bring back Lazarus, but it's interesting that, that after, after Lazarus dies, Martha's the first to meet him, and she's maybe a little here, you know, hey, why, why didn't you come earlier? And they have this exchange about Jesus being the resurrection and the life, and, and Martha affirms that. I believe you are the Christ, the one sent by God. Their faith in Jesus is persistent even in the midst of grief. And, and then, lastly, this, this communal mourning, this group of, of, of friends and probably family of Mary and Martha who, who, who were going with the sisters to the tomb. This, this public event of this trip to the tomb made this sign, the last of the signs in John, unless, of course, we count the resurrection of Jesus, the greatest sign, but the last of the signs performed by Jesus in John, it's very public. You remember the... the the wedding at, the Cana, at Cana in Galilee where Jesus turned the water into wine and we suggested that it may have been only a handful of people that even knew it had happened. Now this changes in this final kind of ultimate sign where it is undeniable. Lazarus is dead. Huh? There, there was maybe this tradition that you know, at three days, for, for three days, the, the spirit kind of hovered around the body to, to make sure that the body really was all the way dead. And, and the author of John's gospel makes it clear to us, it's four days now. He's done. He's, it's over. Jesus goes to the tomb, and the guy walks out. You can see how this would alarm <laughs> the Pharisees and those who were adversaries of Jesus. The list could go on and on. I'll stop there in terms of what I want us to focus on, or potentially what we could focus on, and just want to briefly note for us. The way Jesus is portrayed in John's gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Several months ago, we highlighted this opening verse and how it stood in contrast to the very human, earthy Jesus presented, say, in Luke, who's born in a manger to a carpenter and an unwed teenage mother. Jesus feels very human in Matthew and Mark and Luke. He feels very divine in John. There's a different portrayal, a different 
focus in John's gospel. Until this chapter, where Jesus weeps and where Jesus needs directions to the tomb. Did you catch that? When he goes there, he says to, to Mary and Martha, where have you laid him? I don't want to read too much into a passage that's not there, but I do think it's, it's significant. This is the only place in the Gospel of John where Jesus asks for directions. Now, men have this uh, stereotype about how we don't ask for directions. Dana would tell you that it's really not true. I mean, I just ask my phone for directions all the time. I have a terrible sense of direction. Google knows how bad my sense of direction is. But Jesus, there in Bethany, asked for directions. The Son of God, the one who created this one that he was going to, to, to go and, and, and rise from the dead, raise from the dead, said, can you point me in the right direction? Now, let me read just a little bit into that. The Son of God. The one who came to bring life was so unacquainted with death that he had to be shown where it was. He had to be shown where it was. Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. The one who was in the beginning with God, the one in whom life and the life was the light of all men, came to Bethany apparently to join grieving friends, but had to be pointed in the direction of the graveyard. God incarnate, Christ Jesus, as the antithesis of death, needed directions to find where it lay. Did you know you had a verse of scripture memorized already? John eleven thirty five, two short words, Jesus wept a very human emotion the Jews right after that verse typically the antagonists of Jesus in the gospel suggest his visual emotion was due to his love for Lazarus maybe part of it but I don't think that was what made Jesus weep I don't have time to delve too deeply into it, but I think that the Greek language and the use of the word that John chooses in that uh, verse supports that Jesus encountered the depth to which the world had fallen in a way he may not have to that point. He saw around him grief at the sight of death. This element of the human experience that God never intended to enter into the world, that only came into the world as a result of sin. Maybe Jesus also, as he saw the stone lying next to the tomb, begin to more fully grasp that he too, within a couple of weeks, would lay down in a similar stone tomb. It's possible that he began to more fully realize the sacrifice that would be required of him to redeem us. Jesus wept. This story ambushes readers of John's gospel with the collision of the incarnate God and the suffering of creation. 
As we conclude, hear these words from a pastor and author. It's kind of small there, but Joseph Diem is his name. Christian discipleship calls for a participation in the suffering of the world. It is not to romanticize human suffering, but to be realistic about the human condition. Christ's mission is to engage with the suffering suffering world and to redeem it from its suffering. Christ's suffering is redemptive suffering. It It is not suffering as an end itself, but suffering for the world so as to redeem it from its suffering. May we, as Christ's disciples, sit with and engage with those who suffer, ourselves included, as we seek the incarnate Christ to whom the grave is no obstacle. Amen.